You're listening to The Skeptical Saint, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Cynicism is the sickness of my culture. We undress each other with an evil eye. Concentric circles, we look like vultures when we feast on the failures of the lives we criticize. Welcome to the podcast where crippling doubts collide with positional righteousness. This is Skeptical Saint Show. SSS. And 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 Stop. that's Danny Van. Hi, your host. Danny Van. <laughs> yeah, and I'm Maggie, media director. Well, assistant. <laughs> assistant. Jeffrey, Jeffrey goes to the bathroom for one minute, and I Danny take his job. Our over. communications and ladies education director, communicator, whatever you want to call it here, yeah, Maggie yeah. Cyber, and I am pastor Mr. Aaron. at Building Twenty Eight, <laughs> the preaching intern, and uh, we're back for episode three of the Skeptical Saint Show. And on this episode, we're going to talk about pain. Mm. Look, there's nothing, like when we talk about skeptical saints, there's nothing that elicits skepticism within my soul and most people's souls so much as seeing the devastation, seeing pain, seeing death, seeing suffering, seeing atrocity and evil continue to persist and thrive in the world. And it leaves us with so many questions about this supposedly good and gracious and benevolent king who's in control of all things and is completely unrivaled in might and glory, who continues to ordain or permit, allow, whatever word you want to use, all of this junk. And so Danny was saying, coming into this episode, this will probably be her least favorite because it's heavy and it's sad. But we want to, once again, not that we have all the answers to these questions, but we want to address these questions um, because they are questions that certainly lay heavy upon us. So with that said, 10 questions today on pain and suffering. Yep. And they really cover pretty much every type of pain. Yeah. So first up, can I use my experience of pain and trauma as an excuse to justify my behavior? So the answer there is it's yes and no. Okay. I'm going to be clear. We can never justify sin. Right. So when we talk about bad behavior, like there's a difference between caution and a skepticism around people, meaning that like when you've been burned, when you've been betrayed, when you've been backstabbed, yeah, there's going to be more caution. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a little more cynicism of, can I really trust this person? And I don't think that's bad. I think there's actually to some extent healthy. Wise. So, so that type of behavior you can, and I would even say you should, like to go through the world naive as if. Everyone is glossy and everyone's has beautiful intentions. And mm-hmm. um, I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's good for us. Now we can go too far with that and become overly critical and cynical. Or we trust no one. We love no one. You know, it's kind of like that whole like superhero motif where um, I don't want to be close to anyone like Batman. I don't want to be close to anybody because then I can be hurt. Mm-hmm. And that's not healthy. That's, that's, a, that's a problem. But when it comes to sin. So I've been hurt. I've been betrayed. Um, someone, someone has wronged me. My spouse cheated on me. Okay, I'm, now I'm cautious. And I have a healthy skepticism around these things. I'm looking out. That's fine. But to become bitter, mm. angry, vengeful, the age-old adage is hurting people hurt people. To hurt people intentionally or unintentionally because I've been hurt, none of that's justifiable. Yeah. So 
learning from this and putting parameters in place through my pain and tragedy in my life, okay, that's one thing. Like when I actually went through and um, three years ago, four years ago now, when I went through like a very traumatic year where my little girl was in the hospital for weeks and had open heart surgery and uh, it's the year that Hurricane Irma hit and a lot of really intense ministerial betrayal that year. And I, I got bitter. That wasn't justified. I got angry. That wasn't justified. That can't be justified. But I also, um, there were a lot of questions that started kind of rising up to the surface for me that led me on a pursuit of understanding the love of God and understanding his intentionality and purpose in pain that was really beneficial. Mm -hmm. So we can benefit from these things and learn from these things and, and put godly principles in play without justifying sin or being led into unhealthy behavior. How should a Christian deal with romantic heartbreak? Biblical tips for moving on. Because this is a, a little bit lighter question. I mean, I get it. Yeah. If you're going through that heartbreak right now, that devastation, it's, like... it's heavy mm -hmm. and it sucks. But at the same time, the sun will rise tomorrow, even though it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. Hopefully the sun will rise and life will move forward and, um, and you'll recover from that. But. But the know, how. But how. How long has it been since you've had to recover from heartbreak? Like relational how romantic How long has heartbreak? it been since Angie? What? <laughs> so for those for those for those who don't come to Building Twenty Eight or Danny Van like her doesn't pay attention, Angie was like my first legitimate real like crush when I was like in eighth grade. Uh, hopefully she's not listening to this podcast. Um, but um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that was eighth and ninth grade. It took two years of my life, and it was it was See? pretty, it pretty devastating. Yeah. Um, and then before the I married my wife. There, I was in a few different relationships, and one of those ended with the girl dumping me, hmm. the girl that I thought what? I was going to marry. How and could so, she? Um, I can tell you how I handled it, and it was not healthy. Uh, it was not good. And looking back on that, it was uh, it increased the pain. Mm -hmm. So, um, you can chime in with anything that you would have, but you know how to get over that. There are the stages of grief that psychologists have mentioned, and I think those are beneficial. Like, I don't think we can like wallow in one, mm -hmm. but it's the same if we like lose a pet, if we go through a divorce or separation, um, if we experience a death of a close family member or whatever. Um, obviously, certain things are elevated above above others in intensity, but there's there's and I don't have all those stages in front of me right now. But one of them is to grieve and to grieve like it's okay to like cry and like to to mourn that to mourn that loss, like to mourn the fact that like God looked upon the world and said, this is good. And that everything that we enjoy in life is a, is kind of a microcosm of that goodness, you know, obviously without sin. And so uh, a good, a fun relationship is, is a glimpse of Eden in mm -hmm. a sense. And when that's over, it's a, it's a glimpse, a shout out to the fall and how the fall wrecked everything. And so we should lament the fall and we should lament all the devastation that comes with that. And so I think lamenting that is fine. I think rallying around people who um, can lament with you, but yet give you good advice at the same time, not just one or the other. I think that's important. And, and we are all trying to be that for people, even though we struggle with that. So there, there's some really good content out there. I doubt I'm probably like the greatest person to ask of how to like deal with like getting dumped. Because I'm just like, look, it's for the best. That wasn't your person. Like, let's go. Yeah. Let's find that person. Or maybe they don't exist. You'll be single forever. <laughs> That's what they don't want to hear. episode there. <laughs> oh, man. But they probably do exist. There's a little hope for you. You got anything, Maggie? I feel like that's actually how I got saved. 
well, God saved me, obviously, but like coming out of a really bad relationship and it was getting in community and like being honest with them because it was like super easy to like make everything a secret and everything and be in the dark. And then when you actually like buy into the local church and surround yourself with brothers and sisters, that makes you stronger. And obviously when you're not walking insane, you're going to be stronger. And then getting into the word because there's so many misconceptions like I mean, if you're in a bad relationship, I don't know if it was a fun joyride relationship. I don't know how it acted. But yeah, getting into the word and like finding out what who God actually is instead of just like a made up version of him. Yeah. Crying, eating ice cream. It's good. Essentials. I mean, God gave us like natural ways to kind of deal with pain and stress in our life. And I don't think there's we talked about this on a on a marijuana podcast where to utilize resources or tools or objects like like ice cream, substances like ice cream or a glass of red wine to, to help just kind of take the edge off of everything a little bit. Um, I don't necessarily see that being a bad thing. To depend upon those things and mm-hmm. overindulge in yeah. those things, to eat ice cream every night or to drink four bottles of wine at night or to get stoned out of your mind because you can't handle the pressures of life, that's unhealthy and that's not biblical. So, But I, I don't think it's wrong to get medicated if you need it to have a glass of wine, to eat a bowl of ice cream, to cry. Mm -hmm. Like these are natural things that God kind of gave us to deal with the complications of the fall. How do you respond to church hurt? How should you? How should you? How we do and how we should are two very different things a lot of times. The the problem is, is that when we are hurt or even perceived to be hurt, because a lot of times people hurt us and they don't mean to hurt us. Mm -hmm. That happens a lot in church where, you know, people... Like we're very sensitive people and we get annoyed with other people being sensitive, but then we're sensitive and we get hurt by stuff. As everybody listening, we're sensitive in our own way. We felt disappointed or let down or marginalized for whatever reason. And so a lot of times we draw back when the opposite should be true. We should enter in more, Like We should enter in deeper into relationships. We should uh, seek to, instead of separating from, we should serve more readily. That always the way God designed us, actually, especially in Christ in our redeemed state, is service brings joy. That's why you don't ever meet the press person coming home from a mission trip, except that maybe they're leaving behind the mission. Like everybody's overjoyed because they've just poured themselves out for a week, and that's how God's designed it. But our whole society and the influencers in our society tell us the opposite: that joy bring, that joy comes. We talked about this on our last podcast, relationship podcast, but that joy comes through self fulfillment. Mm. When actually it doesn't, it comes through self depletion a lot of times comes through pouring out and serving other people. Mm-hmm. And so when we're hurt by the church, once again, just like when we're hurt, when we're dumped, to go back to the previous question, I think there's a season of grief and, and lamentation. I think there, there can be a moment to pull away, especially if there's like atrocious sin taking place. But I think those are questions that should be asked as well. And I think they should be asked with like one or two other people that you're really close to. You know, was this sin, was this purposeful, intentional sin? that took place? Was it malicious on the part of the person who hurt me? Or am I being sensitive? But I I would certainly say praying through it, just the same biblical disciplines, praying through it, reading scripture, all those things, seeking community, seeking accountability, finding people that will grieve with you, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, that type of thing, mourn over sin that's been committed. Too often people, (laughs) this will probably be a snapshot in my life as a pastor for 20 years, but too often when people are hurt by somebody intentionally or unintentionally, they try to find the other people who are hurt by that person 
and and form uh, an right. alliance of aggression, hmm. which is not biblical. It's not godly at all in any sense. Um, vengeance is never like that's the Lord's to take care of. And so um, that's not good. Don't do that. Repent of what you need to repent of. Forgive. Doesn't mean you trust again. Doesn't, doesn't mean you like readily just say, hey, I trust you implicitly. Hmm. But forgive them. Um, relieve them of that weight. Relieve yourself of that weight and move on. At what point do you think like church hurt can allow you to leave a church? I think you should go to those who have hurt you and you should talk to them mm -hmm. as tough as that is. And, and we're living in a society that's very averse to very passive aggressive, very averse to like direct, honest yeah. conversations around these things. Um, and so I think, um, I think you need to go to your pastors, um, to your leaders, talk to them or to people in the church, whoever it might be a home group leader or a former discipler or somebody that you were close to and you've grown apart from, whatever it might be, and have those honest conversations with them. Then I do think that, you know, there comes a point, you need to go before the Lord with that. I don't think enough people do that when they church hop. They just kind of pull the plug, head to a different location um, because this church isn't what a church should be, or this church doesn't meet my wants or which they'll say are their needs, but really wants a lot of times. And um, whenever somebody comes floating in the building 28 that's pissed at their form of church, I just know that in like eight months, they're going to be pissed at us and leave. Like, you just know that. Yeah. And so that's not a healthy reason. Like, try to reconcile things, leave peaceably, leave in prayer. The Lord should lead in that decision. And I think, um, I think just like in marriage, like there's a divorce clause given, but we should do everything we can to fight for our marriage. I think we should do everything we can to fight for our church, yeah. like our church family. And if it's not a church family, maybe it's because you haven't invested enough into the church family. Well, you should do everything you can to fight for the place that God has led you and to fight well and to fight in love um, and to fight to stay and to renew commitment instead of to divorce yourself from. That's good. What do you do when you are the one who caused the brokenness in your own life by your own sin slash choices? How do you move forward? You got this first, Mags. I feel like... The easy answer would be just to stop sinning, but I know that's not a like full answer because when you're the one that's like cheating on your significant other or you're the one that's like getting drunk every day or whatever, like you cause the, the brokenness from your choices, then it's like, okay, well, don't make those choices. So then step in the direction like we were talking about in one of the episodes, repenting and believing yeah. or leaving something behind and we're moving to something else. I think sincere apology, I mean, sincere. Yeah. And look, if you're aware enough to know that you're the one who's caused the problems, that's always a good step because we're living in this day of colossal lack of self-awareness. And so if you realize, hey, I've caused this, I'm causing this toxicity. I'm causing the heartbreak in my significant other, my husband, my wife, even boyfriend and girlfriend. I'm causing the discord in my community group or my circle of friends. So if you can see that and be humble enough, so you got to have self-awareness and humility. Because sometimes people will be like, yeah, I can see it, but I don't give a crap. Like, okay, <laughs> well, that's a problem. But if, you, if you're asking this question, that yeah. means you see it and you're humble enough to go, hey, how can I make this right? right? And so sincere apology is one thing and repentance before the Lord. But also behavioral change that is probably going to, look, if you harm somebody, they get to set the rules of what it looks like for that relationship to be restored. Mm. Unless they've hurt you as well. Yeah. Then, then you both are saying the rules. But if you like, cheat, for example, if you cheated on your wife, and that could be through, even though it's not socially the same, but that could be through addiction to pornography or sexual 
promiscuity, whatever it might be. And then she's like, X, Y, and Z need to take place. These things need to be in place. There needs to be like, uh, once again, I'm using the hypotheticals, but there needs to be um, a filter on your phone and on, you know, um, the, there's different things you can put in place where like any website you visit can go to your wife or your husband or friends or pastors, whoever. Um, there needs to be, you need to be home by this time at night. Like you can't go out with your buddies and, and have a beer anymore, at least not for next six months or whatever yeah. to, to rise up and be like, how, like, wh what's wrong with you? I said, I'm sorry. Yeah. Indicates you're not really sorry. Like we have to understand that like our bad decisions, our sinful choices have very real consequence in mm -hmm. life. And there is to rebuild trust is not something that can come by me being like, Hey Maddie, trust me. Trust has to be built and developed, and there's nothing like broken trust. Mm -hmm. That takes much longer, probably four or five times longer to rebuild than trust in the first place. Yeah. And so you have to That's allow good. that person to kind of dictate the terms of restoration, and hopefully they're spirit-filled and Jesus-loving, and they can forgive you, but that doesn't mean they're going to trust you right away either. Yeah. Because you've inflicted harm, and that's naivety. That's not health. To be like, oh, I just trust you again, even though like you talk behind my back and turn people against me and betray me or whatever it might be. So I, I think that that, hey, that takes a lot of humility to say, hey, the, the rules are on your terms. Yeah. Like, what, what's it going to take for you, my husband, oh, my yeah. wife, my friend, for us to be friends again? I don't get to walk in and establish the rules. I don't get to be like, hey, Danny Van, I really hurt you. And here's what I'm going to do. No, I need to be like, Danny Van, I really hurt you. What can what I do? Can what, I do? What, 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 what do you want to see mm. for this to be restored? That's really that's, good. That's tough. I love this podcast. <laughs> How do you help someone who has experienced a miscarriage? So I help them maybe differently than other people. I am 100% convinced that they will see that baby in heaven. 100% convinced mm. based on the authority of Scripture, not just based upon my emotional compulsory. I think that Scripture is very clear from Romans chapter 1, from the book of Ecclesiastes, maybe David's cry for different reasons when his son dies and he says, I can go to him from the Psalms. Uh, we did a whole, a whole podcast over an hour long on children going to heaven. But I think that that's huge and comforting. You're not giving them a false hope. You're giving them like a, a true hope in Christ because of his resurrection that that child, including aborted children will be raised. And so that, there's a, there's immense comfort and, and hope in that. And we could do another podcast follow-up with a brief summary of why I believe that. But I, I would comfort them in that. I would grieve with them. I, I mean, just like sometimes people don't need all your answers. Yeah. They just need like your heartfelt compassion and consideration and empathy. I remember when I was in the hospital with Evie, the people that meant the most were the people who just came by. Uh, and for those who don't know, Evie, well, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, but Evie's my little girl who's now five, but when she first had her surgery, uh, she had her second surgery during COVID, so nobody could come. But even then, it wasn't the people who were like trying to give me advice, like the age, like God's in control. I know that. Right. And I want to punch him in the throat because in that moment, it doesn't feel comforting yeah. that God's in control. Like he just stopped this and he didn't. It's the people who just were like, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like I'm grieving with you. Like I am the people who just sat in silence in the hospital room and rubbed Evie's head and wept and prayed. And those are the people, not the ones who have to always have an answer. And I probably need to learn from this because I feel like I always have to have an answer, at least most of the time. But I'm learning more and more to, to really grieve. Like there's something very unnatural about a baby dying in the womb or out of the womb. Something very unnatural about that. I remember, I won't say his name, 
but one of my pastor friends, when I was in the hospital with Evie, she was six months old. His wife came in, I think 37, 38 weeks pregnant. There been complications and gave birth and to a lifeless little boy. And I went down a couple of floors from where she was at All Children's to visit them. And I had no words. And that was probably a good thing. I just grieved with them, like lamented the fact that this is what sin has done to the world. And so somebody who's had a miscarriage, we grieve with them. We offer them the hope that is in Christ, that their child lives. And uh, that's, that's where I would go. I mean, I don't know, Mags, if you have anything to add to that. Mm-mm. It's too much. What does it mean that God works everything out for the good of those who love him? You got this, right? You know this. <laughs> Just like from my own, I feel like I can only talk from my experience because that's a lot of what I know, obviously, because I lived it. But basically, I used to have this idea that that good that that text is talking about is in Romans. That it was talking about like good that I would think is good, like what culture would think is good, like good things are going to happen to me. Everything's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But the more I've grown in Christ's likeness by the power of the Holy Spirit, I realized that good is talking about becoming more like Christ, which is like going through the fire, going through trials, things like that. So the ultimate good, no matter what you go through, is that you're being sanctified to look more like Jesus. That's the best thing that you could ask for in the end, honestly. Boom. Perfect. Literally. <sighs> the Your setback is not the beginning of your comeback. That sounded so like... Stephen Furtick-ish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, it's, yeah. Just, it's just bull crap. Like, like, I wish that people would stop. Like, Christians buy into this. Thousands of people follow some of these pastors. Just, yeah. They say really trite, cool things. Mm-hmm. That is not biblical. Like, just because you're dealing with pain today doesn't mean that you're going to have victory tomorrow. That does not mean that. And Romans 8, 28 does not mean your temporal good. It yeah. just doesn't. Like, yeah. clearly in the context is for those who love God, to those who have been called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. And the very next verse says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become more like Jesus, conformed to the image of a son. And so that is clearly in context, the good, that if you're truly so in good. Jesus, no matter what happens to you in this life, the best thing that can happen is that you'll become more like Jesus, love Christ more, uh, imitate him more sincerely. That's the good. And we don't like that because that doesn't sound as fun as the you comeback. <laughs> the comeback. Um, but but uh, it doesn't sell nearly as many books as your best life now, but it's the truth of scripture. And Damn. people get disillusioned. And this is where a lot of the pain, a lot of the questions that we're dealing with on this podcast uh, come from is from shoddy theologians and pastors mm. and Christians who are convincing people, hey, whatever you're going through right now, it's going to be okay because Jesus loves you and tomorrow's a brighter day and the best is yet to come and all this garbage when maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe this it just sucks. gets worse. Yeah maybe, yeah, maybe it gets worse and then you die. Like maybe. I'm just <laughs> Legit, saying maybe. Though. And that sucks. Yeah. And that's heavy and that's terrible. Maybe you have stage two cancer, some progressive stage four cancer, and, and you're not going to live to the end of 2022. And that's awful. Like none of us want to think about that. Mm-mm. But at the same time, the truth is, is that God does care and God is using your pain and your suffering and your setback to accomplish his purposes in the world. And part of that purpose is his ultimate good in your life to make you more like Jesus. Mm. I mean, what if, what if your suffering, your cancer, your death brought eternal hope for two or three or hundreds of people? And there's been countless examples of that throughout history. Yeah. Even though we wouldn't want that still, we can see at least in 
and glimpse partial form how that would be like so much better than like our one menial life it's still tough like, i'm not saying it's not it. like if i found out i had a terminal illness i'm not saying it would be like oh well, god's Walk purpose the like, i'm gonna be more like jesus like it still sucks it's yeah. still heavy like, i don't want to go yet i love my kids i want to be here but that truth still stands yeah oh it just makes me angry that like people it's just such a disservice because like people like that are just encouraging christians to put their hope in the but, world yeah it's like yeah. we've I've, I've used the analogy before it's like we've so been sad. all bitten by a black mamba or cobra or a rattlesnake whatever you want to use we have this venom in our veins and it's like someone coming being like hey here's a tootsie roll and it'll yeah. make everything better a tootsie and, roll. and we're like oh yeah it tastes good that's awesome and then we die like that's not good news yeah we need anti-venom yeah. which is uncomfortable but like that's what we need a lot of the skepticism that persists is because a bad theology that has persisted inside and around christianity for decades now mm. yeah are we not supposed to feel pain for unbelieving loved ones who are on their way to hell are we supposed to be satisfied because it is god's will i think it's pretty simple like we should still like paul in romans 9 says i wish i was a curse so that israel could be saved like so that my brothers according to the flesh could be converted and i think that gives us a good indication jesus wept over jerusalem mm-hmm. in his flesh like the the eternal second member of the trinity like sees Jerusalem and he's like, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long have I desired to gather you, but you were not willing to do so. And so there is a a legitimate lamentation over those who are apart from Jesus, who are in their sin and who will spend eternity in hell. And yet at the same time, we we shouldn't question the justice of God in that because they have brought that, Romans 1, they brought that destruction upon themselves. They've rejected their creator, the only savior. And I think that that justice will prevail on the other side. Once on a previous podcast, we talked about the other side. When we get to heaven, when we get to glory, um, we'll have an illumination to our minds that we'll understand and we'll actually embrace the justice of God more so than we do here because mm-hmm. we're shrouded with our emotions, which are subject to sin, mm-hmm. like subject to the curse. And so all the questions we ask, like, like, for example, like, why isn't God loving? That's a question very shrouded in like the fall. Because God is loving, just not according to our human standards, which are subject to a sin world. And so um, we should lament that, and we should pray to God that he'll save them, and we shouldn't give false hope. But at the same time, we should embrace God's justice. Like, we should be sad that, like, um, someone was murdered, okay? We should lament that that murderer is on their way to hell, and that the subjective nature of sin has laid so heavy upon their lives. Like we should lament that we should, we should grieve over that. At the same time, we should be satisfied that like justice is being served here and now with the conviction of that murder. And that gives us a a glimpse into what eternity is like where, Hey, they've committed some really atrocious crimes against the sovereign. Um, They're deserving of death, but there's the demonstration of grace in Christ and maybe they'll be converted. But no, we should, I don't think we should like gather around and celebrate when an unbeliever passes that, hey, now they're in hell. That's very Westboro Baptist, and very mm-hmm. unchristian. Mm-hmm. That's good. Two more. How much, quote unquote, woe is me, am I permitted to feel in my suffering without being sinful? I think there's an adequate level of that of, once again, like you got cancer diagnosis or you, you get in a bad car accident and lose a limb or are get paralyzed abused. or or you get abused yeah i mean like somebody physically or sexually abuses you as a child or as an adult or 
I think there is a level of grief that comes there of, I mean, I think it's healthy. Yeah. We're, we're not meant to be like machines or masochists where, hey, well, it's God's got it all. Like, we're good. You yeah. Know, like, and I almost feel like that's what some Christians want from you. It's like Ultimate a mechanical suffering. response. Like, well, God's got you. How, how can you possibly? Like, I've had, I've had good friends who are always like, why are you so upset? Like, don't you know God's in control? And I'm like, yeah, God's in control. And life still sucks. Like sometimes like, it's still yeah. really heavy and really hard. And, um, and so I, I think that there is a certain amount of now to start once again, growing bitter and God doesn't care at all, um, at all. It's one thing to say God doesn't care necessarily about like, or doesn't care to the extent about our temporal environment as we do. I think it's clear biblical revelation that maybe he doesn't, but he cares far more for our souls, the part of us that will never die, than we do. So uh, a certain amount of grief, I think, is good to start blaming God and grow bitter at God and grow bitter at others. There, it's, it's hard. It's, it's nuanced to like walk that line and know exactly how far we can go without um, wading into the waters of unbelief. What about in a scenario where there hasn't really been a lot of like hard times and it's just like you're just so down? You know what I mean? Like, it's not in response to, like, a diagnosis or you're just like, oh, my life is not good. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do think perspective is important. We just talked about, like, the crap that Christians say and preachers say and everything. But I do think it, it's important to remind ourselves of even the temporal blessings that God has graced us with. To remind ourselves that everyone goes to this garbage. Mm. It's not like we're the only person in the world or in our church or in our lives that is going through this heaviness, like everyone's going through it. It still sucks, but like we just need to remind ourselves that that is the result of the choices that we have made universally as humanity to bring a curse upon the world. Mm. And so, you know, there's this devastation. And then we've talked about this as well, you and I quite a bit, and we even talked about it on an Out of Oz podcast, but um, seeking counsel, seeking therapy, seeking medicinal help. If there's nothing really wrong, you know, tangibly speaking. Yeah seeking help in those things because we live in a broken world. And so just like that lends itself to physical ailments, it can lend itself to mental instability or illness as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Last question. How can I know if I should get a divorce from my spouse? So I'll share this one in brief because we do also have a whole nother podcast, long podcast with me and a fellow pastor on, you know, is divorce permissible? We do believe it's permissible. There's an allowance for it in scripture. In the cases of abandonment of an unbeliever or adultery. And I think that adultery is more than just pornographic addiction. I think pornographic addiction leads a lot of times to infidelity. Like clearly it does. Yeah. I don't think that like historically it's shown that. And if somebody's unrepentant of that pornographic addiction, maybe a separation can take place, whatever, that's for another conversation. But I think you need really good pastoral biblical counsel and advice not just some girlfriends or guy friends being like over a beard last one being like yeah you should divorce his rear like you know like whatever <laughs> um i think that there needs to be like serious consideration taken of do i have biblical grounds for this have i sought restoration have i actually forgiven them because a lot of people get divorced even if they have grounds and never forgive their spouse and that's mm -hmm. just carrying that Dang. toxicity with them yeah and so uh, have i for have i legitimately forgiven them but yet there is such a trust broken, such an unrepentance in them that I can't come back. And it's hard to broad brush that and answer that specific question because we should take 
with so many of these relational or suffering questions, we should take them case by case. But especially when it comes to like divorce and adultery and abandonment and an unbeliever or abuse or whatever it is, or like there's been some like I've counseled in my ministry where the spouse sexually abused their child, you know, mm-hmm. and then you're going and then the, the, the wife is like, uh, how can I stay with this person? And so we have to walk them through that, the pain and sorrow of that and, and heaviness of that and where that, where that allowance comes in for divorce and if they should pursue that, is there repentance on the part of the spouse? It's very convoluted and very heavy. And so I don't want to like, not that anybody would take my word for it if they're looking for a divorce, but um, I wouldn't want to give anybody like a pass on, hey, if your spouse has done this, you absolutely can do this. Yeah. Um, I think that there needs to be careful conversation around, you know. So it's weighty. Um, some, something that weighty. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it. That's this it. was a shorter podcast. We did it. We did it. <laughs> Pain, suffering, lamentation. Hopefully you guys were encouraged. Feel free to send in your questions. Uh, for, keep doing this. For, uh, we'll keep doing it. We'll do it, we'll do it every week. Okay. Um, but that's it for now. <laughs> See you guys next time. Thanks for listening to The Skeptical Saint. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. The Skeptical Saint is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting theskepticalsaint.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.